Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Brian Gibbs. If you would, I'd like you to take your Bibles wherever you're at. If you've got your iPhone, you've got your, your iPad, you've got your scriptures tonight. I'd like you to go to the Gospel of John. John chapter 19, if you would. This is a sacred week. It's a most holy week as honor and worship unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And, you know, the oceans of God's love is really, is really too deep for me to comprehend. <laughs> and yet God makes himself revealed. God, God makes himself known. God makes himself experiential through his very Son. Isn't that amazing? The, the depth of the oceans of God's love, yet God is able to make himself experiential. God is able to make himself real unto us through his own beloved son. But in doing that, Jesus knew it would come at the highest and ultimate price. It would come through a brutal and torturous death. But he said yes to it. He said yes to the cross. That's amazing. I, I'm still trying to comprehend this. But he was able to say yes. I was thinking about that when we were, last year as we were in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we were walking there on the Mount of Olives. And our team was walking through there. And I was watching everyone and kind of just in their sacred space amongst the trees and kneeling down, some sitting, some kneeling, some leaning into the trees. And I was trying to imagine Jesus there on that night saying, Father, if there would be, if there would be any other way, Father, if there would be any other way, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. So powerful. What we are talking about tonight is, is really what true love is. It is pure love. It's true love. It's pure love. And God manifested that, that pure love to all mankind. It, it would take this level, this kind of love, this kind of commitment to, I want to say it to you like this. It, it was a love that is not of this world that could only save this world. It was a love that was not of this world that could save this world. There was a man, we're familiar with him. His name is Nicodemus, and he was seeking Jesus out, and he was, he was somewhere in the crosshairs between everything that was going on with the Sanhedrin, yet his heart was blossoming and coming alive as he heard the teachings and the words of Jesus. And and throughout his journey, he found himself in the night in an intimate meeting with Jesus, finally face to face. And, and Jesus began to share with Nicodemus the power, the power of the plan, the ultimate plan of God that men would become born again. That we would have to actually become born again. And, and Nicodemus marveled about this. And he, Jesus went on to say, he said, these most powerful 
earth-shaking words that God so loved the world. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, God's ultimate vision was salvation. His ultimate design and vision was salvation, that none should perish, that none should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. Before we begin to read tonight out of John 19, I'm going to read out of John 18 one scripture, and it's found in verse 37. If you have your scriptures open tonight, I'm in John 18. Are we good back there? Is everyone good online? Everything's flowing. We're good. Excellent. Okay. In John 18, and I'm beginning to read in verse 37. It says, Pilate therefore said unto him, or said to Jesus, he said, are you a king then? And Jesus answered and said, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. I want to take us tonight right into the story of John chapter 19. I'd like you to just follow along with me and let's begin the journey. Now, Holy Spirit, I just thank you for the power of the word. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are going to release even far exceeding what I am able to articulate in the natural tonight, that by the anointing, Holy Spirit, you will bring a spirit of revelation, spirit of wisdom, spirit of counsel, the knowledge of your will tonight. Lord, that power would be released through the spoken word of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon it, Lord. We thank you, God, for breakthrough. We thank you. We declare again miracles tonight and healing being released through this broadcast tonight. Healing of the soul, healing of the mind, healing of the body in the name of Jesus. We glorify you, Lord. Lord, may your name just be amplified and magnified tonight through the preaching of the gospel. Your gospel is full of glory. Your gospel is full of glory. Amen. Thank you so much, Cody. Love you. And then Pilate, he took Jesus and they scourged him, which means they took Jesus and they, they whipped him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and they placed it upon his head and they put on him a purple robe, and then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again, and he said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And Jesus came out wearing the robe 
the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to, said to them, Behold the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and you crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered them, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself to be the Son of God. And therefore, when Pilate heard this saying, he was even more afraid And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? Listen to these questions. Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. And then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus said these words. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out and said, If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Wow, what a manipulation. What a manipulation. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Verse 13, are you with me? Are you guys with me tonight? And when Pilate therefore heard the saying, he brought Jesus out and he sat him down in the ju- and he sat down in the judgment seat in a place called the pavement and in Hebrew Gabbatha. And now it was the preparation day of Passover. And about the 6th hour he said to the Jews, "Behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, surely I crucify your king. And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. That always pierces me every time I read it. Man. The chief priest answered and said, we have no king but Caesar. And he delivered him him to them to be crucified. And so they took Jesus and they led him away. I'm in verse 17. And he bearing the cross, he went out to the place, the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on the other side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and he put it upon the cross And the writing was this, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Wow. Now, many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, as it was written in Hebrew and Greek and in Latin. And therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write King of the Jews. But he said, He said, I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate said to him, I have written what I have written. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part and also his tunic. And now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. Verse 24. And then they said, therefore among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, they divided my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots for. And therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, he said to the disciple John, who he loved, he said, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciples took her, the disciple took her as his own, into his own home. These last verses, catch this. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he cried out, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and with hyssop, and they put it up to his mouth. And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said these words, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. They crucified the Lamb of God. It was John the Baptist who heralded the word who, when he was baptizing in the Jordan River, when he saw Jesus walking along the Jordan, he turned and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Revelation, it tells us that Jesus truly, he is the lamb who was slain from the very foundation of the world. They took Jesus, as we began to read, read in those first verses, and it says that they scourged him. I want you to see that first. They scourged him, which means that they literally ripped open the Passover lamb's back. Now, I know this is graphic, but I make no apology for this. This is the Bible. Because when you trace the history of the Passover lamb, they would have to take the lamb and they would have to slice open the back of the lamb to examine it to make sure that it was a spotless lamb. Jesus literally, through that scourging, through that slashing of 39 lashes from those Roman soldiers, he was on the verge and the brink of death as his back was ripped open as the Lamb of God. It was there that we learned through the Passover that through Moses' instruction to them in the book of Exodus chapter 12, they would have to take that lamb within their home. And once they began to, once they began to tear open the lamb, they had to put the lamb on a, a vertical and a horizontal cross. It was there that the, the lamb would be placed upon that crucifixion pose. Imagine the lamb upon that crucifixion pose so that the blood now could rain, drain out of the lamb's body. But not one bone of the lamb was to be broken. Are you with me tonight? And when the high priest would then examine the lamb, he would declare then the atonement for the sins to be made for the people. Then the lamb was taken, he was skinned, and he was prepared for the roasting. I want you to hear this tonight and take hold of this powerful, powerful truth. God fully, fully poured out his wrath 
poured out his judgment, poured out his anger, poured out his final verdict over sin upon his own beloved son upon that cross. And the reason that our Father, our good, perfect, heavenly Father, was willing to pour all of the judgment, all of the anger, all of the wrath for the penalty and the cost for sin is so that the Father then, so that the Father then could fully pour out His immeasurable grace and His immeasurable mercy upon us. Somebody give God glory and honor tonight. The Father desired to fully lavish us and pour out His mercy. He did not want to withhold His grace and His mercy any longer, but it would require Him pouring out His wrath upon His one and only beloved Passover Lamb, the Son of God. We shared last week that when the children of Israel, they were under the instruction of Moses and they were told to go into the house, and as they drained, as they took the lamb upon the post, as, the, as they had examined the lamb, as the blood was then drained out, it was gathered and it was supposed to be taken and put over the doorpost. And why was that? And we shared last week, and I believe we've got to say it and declare it again. Because under that blood, ladies and gentlemen, my dear friends, victory tonight, my family, my friends, it was under that blood that the door was closed to destruction. Hear that tonight. It was only through the blood that the door of destruction was closed to them. But it was also through that blood that the doorway was opened to their liberty and their freedom the very next day. Hear that. The very next day, that blood that held them and protected them from destruction was then blown open for their liberty and freedom to go out of the bondage and slavery from Pharaoh. Wow. It is only through the blood of the shed Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the blood of the new covenant that makes us free. The blood of the new covenant through Jesus keeps us and protects us from eternal destruction. It is the blood of the Lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ that releases us into the true life of God. Amen. We're reminded tonight that Jesus said these epic words in John 10 and verse 18. Jesus says these words. He said, no man can take my life from me. Hear that again. No man can take my life from me. He says, I have the power to lay my life down, and I have the power to take my life back up again. This command have I received from my Father. Folks, that is power. That is power. In Matthew 20 and verse 28, Jesus says these words. He says that, the Son of Man, He did not come to be served, but to serve. Now hear these next words. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to give His life for a ransom for many. See, Jesus was never confused about His destiny and His purpose. He was telling them all along, I've come. I've come to give my life. 
I've come to bear my life and, and sacrifice as a ransom for many. He is the Lamb of God for all nations. He is the Lamb of God for every tribe, for every tongue, for every nation, for China, for the Libyans, for the Mexicans, for the Ethiopians, for the Saudi Arabians, for the Iranians, for the Russians, for the Americans, for the Swedes, for the Europeans, for, for the Floridians. He's the Lord of all. He was crucified for every, every tribe, tongue, for every nation as we sang and declared tonight the hunger and thirst in the Father's deepest place of love and heart was for the nations. That every nation would come through the blood. That every nation would come into the inheritance through the beloved Son of God. And Jesus made it very clear. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. This is a holy covenant between a father and a son in the spirit. That this is the way. This is the way. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, if you're moving along with me tonight, and I hope that you are. In 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to begin in the first portion of this in verse 1. The Apostle Paul makes this powerful declaration. He, he writes these words. He says, this is the gospel which we preach to you. This is the gospel which we preach to you, which also we received in which you stand. The gospel in which you stand, by which also you are saved. Hear that. You are saved by this gospel. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, here it is, Paul writes, for I deliver to you that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Hallelujah. Paul goes on, and when he begins to write in, in, in uh, First and Second Corinthians, he goes into this mighty intellectual Grecian city called the city of Corinth. And when he went there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, he says these words. He said when he, when he goes into the city of Corinth, and again, they're, they're heady. They're intellectuals. They, they boast intellectually. They, they're, they're in love with their own selves. They're in love with their own creative thought. Paul goes into there and he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I determined not to know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul goes on in, ch in chapter 1 and verse 23. Paul describes what his message is. He says, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified crucified. Now these people in Corinth, when they, when they heard this level of preaching, they considered it to be such foolishness. They thought it was absolutely absurd because it didn't connect with them intellectually. They thought it was utter foolishness. I would say that they thought it was utter nonsense. 
It's amazing to me that even in 2020 right now, there are millions of people on the earth that believe that the cross of Christ is nothing but nonsense and foolishness. But to us, it is the very power of God. To those that are being saved through the cross, it is the power of God. I will dare say that all the world's problems can be found at the foot of the cross, gazing into the eyes of Jesus. See, it's in the cross. Are you with me tonight? It's in the cross. We see this brutal and yet glorious manifestation of God's love and God's grace, His mercy, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit's divine vision coming together It is a love story that is an eternal love story. It is a love story eternally that will go on when there is a new heaven and there is a new earth. That that the Lord will celebrate His bride and His people forever and ever. God had an eternal love story written. But it was through this cross that it had to pass the narrow way. Are you with me tonight? It would require this cross to redeem the world. It will require this cross to give a perfect sacrifice for the beloved Lamb. I'm in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we're with the Apostle Paul again. And I'm beginning to read at verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God, God demonstrates his own love towards us. Hear that. God demonstrates his own love towards us. That while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, God says, I'm going to put my act of love on full display. I'm going to put my act of love, I'm going to demonstrate my love on full display that you cannot miss it. That you cannot miss it. That while we were still lost and trapped and snared in our old ways, in our old sinful nature, in our, in our old generational malfunctions, Christ died for us to set us eternally free from the power and the grip of sin. Whew. God makes it plain that he wanted to deal with sin once and for all. Say that tonight, once and for all. God wanted to make it eternally clear once and for all to deal with the power of sin so that it would not have any more power over us. It was the Apostle Paul that said these words in Galatians 2. In verse 20, he said, we have been crucified with Christ. Hear this tonight. We have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. And yet not I, but it's now now Christ living in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hear that tonight. 
Hear this tonight. Romans 6, verse 6. My God, this is so powerful. We are told there in Romans 6, 6 that our old man was crucified with him. Y'all seeing that? Our old man was crucified with him. That we do not any longer need to serve sin any longer. We don't have to serve sin any longer, ladies and gentlemen. This is good news. The Scripture promises in Romans 6 and 14, look at it. It says that sin shall not any longer have dominion over us. Oh, my friends. Oh, beloved. Hear this tonight. This was the Father's intention. This was the Father's dream. This was the Father's vision and desire for our lives. That sin would no longer have dominion over us. That we would no longer be slaves and under the tyranny of our own condemnation and shame. But the penalty would be fully met in the power of the cross of the beloved, sinless, spotless Lamb of God that would give His life for us. Why? So that sin would never have dominion over you. It's the Father's dream for sons and daughters. We're not to live our life under the tyranny of condemnation and shame. But God gives us this power and dominion over sin. Are you still with me tonight? Romans chapter 6, I'm still there in verse 7. You have to see this tonight. What does it say? Read it with me. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Are you with me? For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, you have to have the spirit of revelation to grab a hold of this. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So let me ask you, are you with me tonight? Are you there Right, so is Paul writing that we have no hope to go on sinning until we die? We just have to look forward to dying so that we're set free from the power of sin? It's not what he's saying at all. He's bearing the revelation telling you that you and I have died with Christ. And because we have died with Christ, we have been freed from the power of sin. There's the hope. Are you seeing that? There's the hope. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes these words, Philippians 3 and 10. Paul cries out, he says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Folks, the, the reason that the gospel is alive, the reason the gospel has power is because of this cross, but also the revelation and the power of the resurrected Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 14, he says, And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is absolutely useless. If Christ hasn't been risen from the dead, it's absolutely useless, and so is our faith. But ladies and gentlemen, our preaching and our faith, it is not useless. The resurrection is the power of God. Romans 1 and 4, it says this, Romans 1 and 4, But by His resurrection from the dead, He has been declared the Son of God with power according 
to the spirit of holiness. According to the spirit of holiness. It was Israel's prophet, the prophet Isaiah. I loved seeing yesterday the President of the United States of America seated in the highest seat of his authority under the anointing that God has given him to run this nation. I loved seeing him sit there in that seat of authority to call upon the name of the Lord to call upon the name of Jesus Christ, declaring Him to be Lord and declaring Him to be the resurrected Lord. You know what I also loved? I also loved seeing President Trump decreeing the prophet Isaiah's words that darkness would cover the earth, even deep darkness upon the people, but the glory of the Lord shall arise upon us. It was this prophet that prophesied about these days that we live in, about the glory of the Lord coming upon the sons and daughters of God in the midst of such horrendous, gross darkness coming upon the earth. He writes this messianic verse in Isaiah 53 concerning the coming Messiah. And I'm going to begin to read in verse 4. I'm in Isaiah 53. Here's Isaiah's words by the Holy Spirit. Surely he has bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, by his scourging, by his breaking open, by his tearing open of his very back. What does it say? We are healed. All we like sheep, we have gone astray. And we've turned every one to his own path. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. I want to take you back to the beginning of this message. I want you to see Jesus in that garden. Father, if there can be any other way. Jesus knew that he would be smitten. Jesus knew he would be stricken. Jesus knew he was about to be afflicted. Jesus knew that he was about to be oppressed by the very sins of the world. Yet he did not open up his mouth. He was led as a lamb. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison to judgment. And who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of many people. He was stricken. And they made his grave among the wicked. But with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He was perfect in every way. He was God's perfect, beloved, slain lamb. But ladies and gentlemen, the cross was not an end. 
Come on. The cross, it was not an end. The cross was a brand new beginning. Come on. My friends, whoever you are watching, the cross was not the end. Oh, the enemy thought it was the end. Satan thought it was the end. The scripture even tells us, had Satan known, he would not have crucified the Lamb of glory. It was not the end. It was a brand new beginning. I believe that's very prophetic for us in this hour. I believe, did you hear those words? We are not coming to just a, an end. We are coming into a brand new beginning. Glory to God. I want to take you through something tonight. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 9 for the next few moments. And I want to speak to you about the old order before Christ as the high priest of Israel on the day of atonement would make atonement for the sins of the nation, sacrificing a lamb that had to come by perfection with no blemishes as an offering unto God. His blood would be, the lamb's blood would then be taken from the outer court into the inner court of the temple and then through the most holy place where we know the veil of the temple was there in between the, the um, holy place and the most holy place. And how many of you remember what was behind that veil? There was only one piece of furniture. There was only one piece of furniture. Remember we, uh, in the outer court, we left the altar of sacrifice. We left the, the altar of washing, the, the, the water basin for washing and purification and cleansing. Then you go into the holy place where there's the altar of showbread on this side. On this side, there's the menorah burning here, the seven candlesticks of the Lord. Then the table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread for one for each tribe of Israel. And then before the veil, there was an altar called the altar of incense, the burning of incense where there were hot burning coals going up before the Lord. Now you have to see this tonight. And the, the high priest on the day of atonement, this is before Jesus, he would gather at that sacrificial altar that blood. He would come through the water of the cleansing he would go between the showbread, between the candlestick, the illumination, the light of God. Then behind the altar of incense rising, he would pass then through that veil. And there was only one more piece of furniture, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. Are you with me tonight? And what God was doing, he was, he was giving us a revelation to peer into the protocol of what it would require to take us from this outer realm or dimension into the most holy place to be with the Father before the throne of God. That priest, that high priest would then come through the veil taking that blood of the lamb that they had gathered and he had one final act. What did he do? He would take the blood of the lamb and present it and pour it upon the mercy seat to be received for atonement. I want you to read with me tonight. Are you there? Hebrews 9. Are you there? I can't hear you shouting in your living rooms tonight. I know you're there. <laughs> 
I know that at the end of this, my phone will be full of, I'm here, hallelujah, I'm shouting. Hebrews 9, and I'm going to begin to read in verse 11. But Christ came as high priest. Hear this. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, say it, once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes, ashes of a heifer, the sprinkling of, an unclean, of the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus, whom through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. See that? He offered himself without spot unto God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Woo! My God, church. My God, church. This blood of the Lamb, Jesus' very own blood, shall cleanse our consciousness. What is that, what is that saying? It's the healing of the mind. It's the healing of the memory. It's the healing of the pain and the shame of the sins that we committed against ourselves. The sins that we committed against others. The sins that others committed against us. He would literally wipe away the consciousness and cleanse our memory and our imagination and our soulish realm. That's the love of God. My friends, that's the love of God. That's the power of the blood. That's the power of the blood. That's the power of the cross. And it was for this reason. I'm in verse 15. You with me, Victory? Yes. It was for this reason that he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first commandment that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. You see that? This is an eternal love story that we are talking about. It is an eternal inheritance. Sandra, I'm looking at you, but a thousand years from now, you're going to be very much alive. A thousand years, 10,000 years from now, my wife and I, my son, we're going to be very much alive eternally with Jesus. And it was sealed and made possible by the blood. This is a promise of an eternal inheritance. For there, I'm in verse 16. You still with me? For where there is a testament, there must be a necessity of death by the testator. And the testament is enforced after men are dead, since it has no power at while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Don't miss that. It was not even, it didn't even become ratified as a covenant, and even in the old, without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and with scarlet wool and with hyssop and sprinkled blood both on the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood 
both the tabernacle and all the vessels for ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified by the blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not our good works that will bring us into an eternal inheritance. It is only by the blood of the sacrificial Lamb of God that brings us into covenant. To those of us who have received this grace, to those of us that have received this grace through faith, it came because we renounced and we repented of our, own, of our old life. That's how it came. The grace of God comes through the act of repentance and surrendering and yielding to receive the gift of the blood of Jesus. And it required the death of His cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tonight. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. It says, you and I were bought with a price. You and I were bought with a price. Think of that. The death of God's Lamb, therefore, glorify God in your bodies and in your spirit, which are God's. Notice that. You belong to the Lord. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. You're not your own. You were bought with the price, the blood of the Lamb. Tonight, I want to give you these powerful truths. This is what we are speaking about tonight. Cody, I'd like you to come. Tonight we are speaking of the unstoppable love of God. It is a love that is still hard to fathom. That God was willing to give Jesus for us. That God was willing to give His only beloved Son to die a brutal death, a crucifixion. A brutal crucifixion upon a cross to redeem us and save us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, he says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that man believes unto righteousness, and it's with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see that? It's with the heart one believes. And then the confession of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is simply how salvation is brought to mankind. It's believing with simple faith in your heart. And declaring Him, making Him the Lord of your life. Believing and declaring. John 3.17, we spoke of earlier that God had sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is in God. Wow. And we have known and believed the love of God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in his love abides in God, and God in him. Verse 17, love has been perfected in us, amongst us in this, that we would have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we 
in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out all fear. Because fear involves torment, and he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. God's love was unstoppable. Jesus knew it was going to require this cross. But he was unstoppable in his covenant and commitment to his own father. I'm willing to give it all. I saw a photograph someone had painted this week of Jesus bowing down in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying that night, soon before he would be arrested that night, and they would come, the soldiers with torches and swords, looking for Jesus. The Scripture tells us when they came to the entryway of that garden, Jesus actually met them at that entryway. And he said, whom are you seeking? And they said, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. When he said those words, that crowd of soldiers that came to arrest him, the scripture says, by the power of his words, I am he. The power of those words threw those men to the ground. While they were still on the ground, he said, who are you seeking? Could you imagine? They were, they were responding. The scripture says they were responding while they were trying to get up. Just the power of him declaring, I am he. I saw this painting of the Lord praying in the garden. And I know that every one of us, every one of us, and everyone listening tonight have tried to imagine and think about the Lord really dying for us, for us, to take it personal. Can we go there tonight? Can we go there tonight? That he, did, he didn't just die for all of the nations of the earth, for every tribe tongue. He didn't just die for all of them. But can we bring it down, right down to our lives? That he died for us. That he made the decision. That he made the consecration to say, Henry, you're worth it. Every bit of me. All that I am. All that I am, you're worth it. I will give for you to ransom you, to redeem you, to purchase you. I will withhold nothing. I will hold nothing back. I will give all that I am, yielded and surrendered, to purchase you. Can we go there tonight? This is an unstoppable love. And I want to say again tonight, this is a love that is not of this world. This is a love that we are still trying to comprehend. The love of the Father. Tonight, can I get very personal with you? Whoever you may be, if you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, time is of the essence. Time is of the essence. 
I plead with you. The Lord loves you. Give your life to him. Give your life to him. He loves you. He died for you. As he died for us, he died for you. Receive him. Believe upon him. Simply ask Jesus to be your Lord and to be your Savior and ask him into your heart to be your Lord. And if you will do that, you will be saved. It's simple, but it requires childlike faith. It doesn't mean that you're childish. It means that you have the ability to be humble as a child to say, I receive what you have given for me, Lord Jesus. So our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed tonight. Father, tonight we want to honor the sacredness of the gift of Jesus. Lord, we don't want to just go through the historical relics of Scripture and rehearse the story again without it being a burning revelation in our soul and our spirit. Lord, may your love permeate us. May your love rest on us thick. May your love rest on our dear families and friends thick in their home. God, we, we ask tonight that it would be tangible, that, that it would be experiential in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May your presence just come down and rest and hover and be thick in those homes, Lord, just like you walk through the walls to your disciples. Come walking into the room right now, Lord. Come walking into the room. In Jesus' name. Lord, we give you all the glory for what you have given for us. We give you the glory for paying the highest price, the penalty for our sin, for our iniquity. We thank you for taking our curse upon yourself, Lord. We thank you for becoming sin upon that ugly, vile cross and giving us your righteousness and calling us clean and washing us and calling us holy and giving us access before Almighty God. We thank you tonight, Lord Jesus. You've done it all, and we believe we believe and we receive it and we thank you we thank you jesus thank you for listening to victory church of his presence sermon of the week for more information go to our website at victoryfla.com